0: Good morning. We are preaching through the uh, New Testament book of 1 Peter at the moment here at Grace Church uh, in a a series that we have called Elect Exiles, taken from uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, that little phrase, because Christians are referred to as elect and exiles. So just as when people go into exile for whatever reason, they are generally quite different from the locals in the place where they are in exile and Christians are and should expect to be quite different from the locals of where we are. We should expect to be different in this world. And that is helpful to know as things may, in the world we're living in, feel increasingly different to our values and what we hold to and believe. So we sometimes think and believe and act in ways that in this world are unusual and possibly unpopular. And it is in that context that we get to chapter three this morning, where that remains fairly clear. Let me just read the first verse, the first half of the first verse, just to give a little tease as to where we're at. This says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Oh, so less than a whole sentence there. But, but I think saying things like that today in our culture is hardly in keeping with the local mindset. Maybe it's a bit triggering for some already, already getting a bit twitchy when you hear such words and you're kind of maybe thinking, oh, all the weeks to bring my friend to church. Hear me out. I, I, there's some good stuff to, to, to see in here. Just some introductory comments as we get into it. Firstly, in reading and, and in preaching through this, we we've got to understand both the original context that it was written to and who it was written to and also our own context because no one lives in a vacuum right right with we, with we, no other preconceived beliefs or assumptions and their context the original uh, readers of this is very different to ours we need to understand what was assumed in their context to understand why Peter emphasises some of the things he does. So, for example, the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, talks about marital roles as equal but different. Now, in their context, the concept of equality was was not assumed at all and possibly quite offensive, whereas the concept of difference in marital roles was assumed, as, as is still the case in some cultures today whereas in our context and culture the concept of equality is very much assumed but the concept of difference in marital roles can be quite offensive and we all need to be conscious that we are shaped by the world and the time that we live in and we want to let the bible speak for itself even if it offends some of our preconceptions possibly And actually, we should probably probably be a bit suspicious if everything that we think about something like marriage is totally, as Christians, is totally in line with what the secular world thinks. Probably should make us a bit suspicious. So maybe this morning you won't agree with everything, but hey, let's all together try and build our perspectives on the Bible and not our own opinions. Another comment, this passage talks to and about Christian wives and husbands. So it is about marriage. If, if you are unmarried this morning, please do not infer from the fact that we're preaching through this, that you are therefore inferior because, because this doesn't directly address you. I really hope and pray that as a single person, you are well supported by married people in Grace Church. And also, you can support married people. Marriages are important and we want godly marriages in Grace Church. And so this is relevant to everyone in playing our part to help that to be the case. Also, it's more about Christian wives and husbands than, than marriage itself, if that makes sense. So it's not really much in this passage on what marriage is, but more on how wives and husbands should act. So therefore, there might be some things that I won't go into this morning and maybe assume some things from the Bible and leave some questions unanswered. I want to be faithful to what this passage is saying. So, so that's, that's the emphasis there. And the last kind of comment as we introduce, it is all centred around Jesus Christ. And uh, I'll explain more in a minute how that's the case. Let me pray before we, we go any further. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word, that it is living and active and good and profitable for teaching. And so I pray, Lord, would you just soften our hearts this morning as we hear your word preached. Would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read the passage, uh, just seven verses, and then uh, work through it bit by bit. Slightly different to how I normally approach things, but that's how we're going to go through. But I'll read it all to start. It's chapter 3, 1 to 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives... Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Maybe some more triggering moments as we're reading those passages. We'll, we'll get to whatever they might be as we, as we start through it. So start with the first couple of verses Again, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, you might have noticed actually as well that that wives get six verses and husbands get one and you think, what is that about? And this might sound kind of like a bit of a joke to say that it's because it is harder for wives to live with their husbands than it is for husbands to live with their wives, but I actually think that is true, certainly in the context that Peter is writing and speaking to, for reasons that I will come on to, but it starts, wives in the same way, in the same way is such a key phrase in these passages, and it is repeated for husbands in verse 7, husbands in the same way. The same way as what? With the same way as Christ, that's what Peter's just been talking about. So, It looks different for husbands and wives in the detail, but that the same way that Christ, he is the foundation for both. And you could sum up that that foundational default by using humble sacrifice. In the same way as Christ expressed humble sacrifice, wives and husbands should do the same. 1 Peter 2, 24, the verse just before this passage He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That is the perfect example of preferring others even if they don't deserve it. Humble sacrifice and marital roles are modelled on Christ and are to be motivated by all that he has done for us. And these verses, they are relevant as we talk about wives. They are relevant to all wives. But Peter is talking specifically to women who are married to men who do not believe the word. So it's women who have got converted, put their faith in Jesus, but have unbelieving husbands. And he gives really helpful and practical advice to a very real life situation. And in their context, again, wives would have just worshipped their husband's gods. So it's not up to them. You generally get to decide who they worship. They just worship whoever their God wants to worship and also have their husband's friends. So wives did not have their own friends or their own gods in that context. So for women to worship Jesus and no one else, no other God, would have had an element of rebellion to it. So then the question is, well, how do they conduct themselves through that and the simple answer is to submit to their own husbands. And just as with in the previous few verses we looked at last week, with governments and employers, Peter speaks to the person being called to submit here of their own accord and not the person to force submission. The woman is given, the wife is given a hundred percent agency here. The husband is not told to make her submit the wife is told to submit herself and also the wife is not told to submit to all men but to her own husband submission of the wife and headship of the husband is something that is emphasized for all marriages throughout in a number of passages in the new testament ephesians 5 colossians 3 1 corinthians 11 so it is applicable to all christian marriages where the husband and wife are equal in value, but slightly different in role. And Christ himself submits to the father. Submission is not an inferior thing in the New Testament. But the million dollar question that everyone wants to know the answer to is, all right, what does that mean? What does submission look like for a wife? And in this instance of, of the wife of an unbelieving husband, particularly, and also more generally. So in this instance of a wife of an unbelieving husband, some of it is implied in what Peter says. So it's, it's quite clear that he's saying, one thing is, don't leave the husband, which is helpful. And you might think, should, should a wife leave their husband if they're not going to become a Christian? No, and Peter says, no, submit. Don't add to any sense of rebellion, but follow Jesus and submit to your husband, that is not saying, submit to something like domestic abuse by the way, and i 'll come on to that, uh, but, but just to be clear i 'll come on to it more though and, and it 's helpful and practical and true for today as well, so there will be tension if that 's going to happen when that happens, and as it happens today, but it 's helpful advice for then and today stay stay with your husband. And she is motivated as well, something that is clear. She's motivated by reverence in verse 2, which is literally fear is, is what it is. But so therefore that must be fear of God, because we would never be talking about anything, any other fear in the New Testament as a good thing. So Peter's saying, hey, don't follow the empty way of life. I know it might be tempted to, to just kind of run off, but no, fear God and trust in him. And also the goal of submission is stated in this instance. Why submit? Why stay? It's that she might win him over with her conduct without words. So if this is your situation, do if you're a, got a, you're a Christian married to a husband who's not a Christian, hey, do tell them the gospel for sure, but also don't feel that you need to constantly be doing it but actually constantly live a godly life and see what God does. So some stuff is said, that's kind of a bit clear, but I think mostly when it comes to what is submission then for the wife, mostly Peter and I think the New Testament is deliberately ambiguous to some extent. It's the the same today, both again for wives of unbelieving husbands and generally in any marriage, I think there is space to figure out in your context, in your marriage, what does the submission of the wife look like? So specifically, Peter, in, again in this context, Peter doesn't tell wives, for example, how much they should attend church. You should, or you should definitely be at church every week, whatever your husband says. That needs working out. And it's the same today. If your husband is not a believer, then hey, discuss with him what you both think the right amount of church attendance is. And in asking, even in, in asking in that way, you may win him over, who knows, with your Christ-like humble sacrifice. Generally, for all marriages, what does it look like? Hey, first, first see if you agree that it's biblical for, for a wife, to submit to the husband in some way, and then talk it out. What does that mean for you? What has it possibly meant in the past? What could it mean in the future? Largely, I think any conversation along these lines should be initiated by the wife who has agency. saying, how can I do this? Rather than the husband saying, how can you submit? And there are clear limits. It's not kind of however you want. So it's it's not do whatever the husband wants or he makes all the decisions. It's not just about decision-making, but it is in the Bible. It must mean something. So what is it? Clearly as well, I think, we can often assume, oh, it's difficult. What if the that the husband is not as mature in their faith as the wife? But clearly, again, from these verses, the husband doesn't have to be kind of further along in their faith for submission to still be appropriate and present. To say, I think that there is space to work this out for yourself. It's not just a cop out. I think the Bible allows space, and and all wives are called to submit to their husbands. I think the New Testament says. But what submission looks like will be different in different contexts. So even today in, in the UK, what, what submission for a wife looks like in, in a godly and appropriate way might be a bit different to what it looks like in places like South America or, or the Middle East and how that would be a godly way to do that. Let's keep going with this, the, the passage. Next couple of verses, verses 3 and 4. So your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The, the reverence of your lives of verse two leads naturally onto this. Wives, live to please God and no man or, or woman. I, I think I'm going to, there's a lot of, this is why, I'm, this is not what I'm saying in this. So I, this, is, this passage is not saying, hey, bad day to do your hair nicely. Do not wear makeup. Do not wear jewelry. It is not saying wives should not be extroverts. Wives must all be the quiet types. It's not saying that. What is it saying? It it is sad when women find their beauty and their security in their physical appearance. Men and women are different. God has made men and women to be different. And there is a, a propensity within women to care about beauty which is not all bad, but it can be expressed in misguided ways. In 2021, women had 93% of all cosmetic procedures performed in the UK. So this, Clearly there's more women are doing it and also that they're doing it. I think it's so sad when you see celebrity women and it's just clear that they've had multiple surgeries in a desperate attempt to preserve their youthful beauty. Karen Jobes, in her commentary on these verses, is really helpful. She says, the, the beauty of Christian women is to be their inner quality, which is of great worth in God's sight, and not the costly adornment of elaborate hairstyles, fine clothing and gold jewellery, which are, of course, of great worth in society's sight. It's a helpful contrast that she's drawing out. The outward beauty is precious in the world sight, but nothing to God. And it is fading. And if beauty and security is found there, then as it fades, which it inevitably will, then insecurity will grow. But inward beauty is not much to the world, but is precious to God. And it is not Fading and as that grows, insecurity will fade. So, to find elderly people beautiful, we don't need to make them look like young people as the world wants to do. Married or not, particularly women, hey, care more about your inner beauty than your outward. It will do you good and it will honour God. Next time you look in the mirror, know that your beauty comes from your inner quality. The unfading of a gentle and quiet, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit as the passage says. Possibly this is a good definition of submission. I'm not talking about volume, right? Not talking about kind of presence in the room. It's not, don't be loud, um, but, but spirit, your inner spirit. It, it, it's humility and gentleness. It's like Jesus, right? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. It, that, there's this peace in Jesus, which is, which is to be the inner beauty of a woman in, in tension, intense moments when they arise, pursue peace and not confrontation. This is certainly not about Weakness, right, in that way. The greatest act of submission in history was Jesus on the cross, which was anything but an act of weakness. Next couple of verses uh, talk about Sarah. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Just a couple of quick comments and encouragements on this. Firstly, no one is saying that marital submission is easy. And here, I think it's, it's brilliant. Peter acknowledges that it is scary to submit to an imperfect human. He says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. It it can be scary to do. That's encouraging, isn't it? It is okay to find this hard and difficult, but the encouragement is, I I, I know it's scary, but don't give way to fear. And the example of Sarah can actually seem a bit surprising. It's a bit of an interesting choice. I think chosen generally as a a model, um, as as a mother in the faith. But Abraham was not perfect right and, and, and Sarah wasn't perfect but she was a good model in this way particularly because Abraham wasn't perfect and yet Sarah chose to submit to him even to some of his really questionable stupid plans she was she would submit to what he was doing. Wife love your husband by being his biggest supporter and champion. Get behind him. He needs your support more than anyone else's. Treat him like an honourable man, even if and when he doesn't act like one. And he definitely won't all the time. Husbands, then, we get to verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Again, starts crucially. Husbands, in the same way, it is, again, The same way as Christ, humble sacrifice. That's the foundation of how to act as a husband. And it does not say, so it says, wives submit to husbands. It doesn't then say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. Not at all. Again, Karen Job's helpful comment, when submission of the wife becomes the central issue, the image of Christian marriage has already been distorted. It also, it doesn't say, Husbands, lead your wives. Now, I I believe in uh, the headship of the husband as a New Testament principle. but, But the New Testament never, interestingly, tells the husband explicitly to lead their wives. Headship is to be expressed in loving and in being considerate. Everywhere it's talked about, that's the emphasis. Ephesians 5 says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Humble, sacrificial love. Colossians 3.18, wives submit husbands, not lead. Husbands, love and, and, and don't be harsh in your dealing with your wife. And here, 1 Peter 3, husbands, be considerate. Treat your wife with respect. Let me just cover this little trigger moment of the weaker partner this is talking purely in physical terms on average men have 40 percent more upper body strength and 33 percent more lower body strength that's a lot uh, they're generally in in the vast majority of marriages the man is physically stronger than the woman which makes the woman more vulnerable in that way Domestic abuse is clearly condemned here. Men, you should never use your physical strength to dominate or intimidate a woman. Your extra strength is given to protect and to love and it is cowardly to use it for any other reason. And hey, God loves to humble the proud. Women, if you are experiencing this, then get out, get Get to a safe place. Do talk to someone. And these verses, they could be, some people have suggested that they could be just talking about making love. And if so, it's quite significant. And, and, and I think it certainly is a great basis for making love. Husbands, be considerate, be respectful as, as the stronger one. Prefer your wife. But I think it is talking about more than that. I think there is a link here in what strength is and means for men with what beauty is and means for women. So Steph Liston, I some really helpful comments on this. He says, "Beauty means something profound for women, and strength does for men. Both are, in a sense, their unique stewardship from God as men and women. It's important to see how the Bible looks to redeem these attributes and recast them spiritually. This rescues women from the trap of fixation with how they look externally. This releases them into the quest for inner beauty, which is a manifestation of godly femininity. This also rescues men from the trap of fixation with how they look externally. And this releases them into the quest for godly strength, which is a manifestation of godly masculinity. As is the case for women with beauty, there is a propensity in men to care about being strong which can be expressed and certainly is expressed often in misguided and harmful ways but when expressed and utilized in humble sacrifice is, is honorable to God and that's especially true in the context of marriage. When it says be, husbands, be considerate, that could be translated as be understanding. Understand your wife. Now, this, can, this is where it kind of can seem all derogatory and like, oh, men are from Mars and all that stuff. But, but men and women do think differently. And husbands are being told here to do their best to understand their wives. Next weekend, week today, uh, my wife and I will celebrate our 12 year wedding anniversary So 12 years in and I have not totally understood my wife but I I am closer than I was. I understand Liz better and so when I try to be more considerate I'm hopefully a little bit more accurate in what that looks like. Husbands are to spend their lives figuring out how to enable their wife to thrive in all that God has for her because that is the goal be understanding be considerate in that so let me put it all together a little bit one way for a husband to be considerate is uh, to their wife is to help them to find their beauty in inner beauty and not outward appearance so so Tell your wife she is beautiful, definitely, but don't obsess over her outward appearance. Make it abundantly clear that you, as a husband, just like God, are more concerned with her heart than with her looks. And this is right, not just because you might upset her, hey, happy wife, happy life. This is because you want to help her and to help her to care more about her inner beauty than her outward appearance, to care more about what God thinks more than anyone else, including yourself. And one way for wives to submit, million dollar question, is to listen to their husbands when they are doing that. Don't, Don't ignore your husband when he is pushing you to disregard the opinion of other women and to listen to God. If ever there's a time for submission, do it when your husband is trying to point to your inner beauty and point you to Jesus. Then from that, another way for husbands to be considerate and understanding also is to hear her out about how difficult that might be. Just because it's harder for her, because it probably is personally. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that this is all men or all husbands. Personally, you may or may not know, I don't really care much about how I look and, and it's not that hard for, for me to not care. So that's not, I'm not saying that that's impressive. It, that's just uh, how God's wired me. So, so therefore I need to work particularly hard to understand my wife who is more conscious of it and, and understand why you're concerned, what, what, what's behind it, to really care and understand So that I can help her to find beauty elsewhere. And then there's this fascinating ending. Um, The way Peter writes, do this to your husbands, right? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. He says, be considerate, respect your wife, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I think we can separate that in two ways. Firstly, a husband's prayer life and spiritual walk, it just won't do well if he is not respecting his wife. And, And and considerately pointing her to Jesus. You won't be able to be having a great kind of prayer life and relationship with God if, if, you're, if you're not doing that. We can't fake it too much. We cannot grow in maturity whilst neglecting marriage. It's One of the reasons why for those who are married, marriage is so important for their relationship with God. Secondly, perhaps more shocking, God will resist your prayers husbands, if you are using your strength in ungodly ways. That is a big deal. Serious stuff. That's what Peter's saying. It's serious. God will, your, your prayers will be hindered. God will resist your prayers if you are not being considerate and using what God has given you to honor others, especially your wife. And then also in the treat, treat your wives with respect, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. This is, this is how we know, hey, equality is a biblical thing. Men and women, husband and wife are equal in value and dignity and worth. And that seems obvious to us because of the world we live in, but that was an utterly radical thing to be saying in this original context where that was not at all the case. Females were not heirs; they weren't heirs of anything. Didn't inherit anything. For us, they are we we know they are co-heirs with us. And I think actually the, the reason that our culture assumes that is because of the impact on the Bible, on the West, and increasingly on the globe. But this is hugely significant. In Christ, in 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 that sense, there is neither male nor female. You could add there's neither married nor unmarried. All are one. In Christ, some verses from Galatians three, which really sum up the last couple of weeks. Which look, looking last week at submitting to government, to employers, Christ as Christ is our model for suffering, and this week uh, what marital roles look like. But in Christ, we're all heirs. Galatians three twenty six. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are all heirs according to the promise if you have believed in Christ and belong to him. You see, it is all centered around Jesus Christ. He's our model, uh, he's our example in the same way. Humble sacrifice is the shape for both husband and wife. It's expressed in humble submission by the wife and humble consideration and respect by the husband, both being totally equal in their value and dignity and inheritance. It's not easy, right? Marriage is not easy. And hey, singleness is not easy. They're the only two options, right? I think probably we can just deduce faithfulness is not easy. Christ has done it for us. Remember that Christ suffered for you. Chapter 2, verse 21. He suffered for you. We we need to look to him and all that he has done for us as we look to live out whatever he has called us to. He's released us. He's done it for us. He's achieved where we know that we are going to fail time and time again. Christ gave himself up for you. He has succeeded where we will fail. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. Jesus, I thank you that you so loved the world that you gave yourself up. Such is your humble, sacrificial love and preferring of the others who don't deserve it at all. We're so grateful for all that you've done. I ask that you would help us to model our lives after you. Help us to love as you have loved. Help us to know all that you have done for us, that we might honour you in this world. Amen.